Welcome to The Informationist, the podcast that breaks down complex financial concepts into simple, fast, and easy-to-understand terms. We understand that financial jargon can be overwhelming, so we make it our mission to bring you accessible information, helping you to use financial terms and concepts to your advantage. Stay updated by subscribing to The Informationist podcast today. In today's episode, we'll cover the looming debt ceiling crisis and its consequences. U.S. Treasury borrowing and the risk of default, the implications of years of debt raising and the U.S. Treasury's risk of losing global trust, as well as how to take advantage of resulting market weakness. Here we are again talking about debt ceilings and defaults. Republicans offer a deal, Democrats won't negotiate. Yet, with no resolution, the U.S. will default on its debt. We've heard it all before, many of us, many times before. Ah, the joys of political theater. Problem is, this kind of theater has consequences. Like if after watching Les Miserables, you went back home only to find your own house had been burnt down. The irony. Let's start with the basics, shall we? Debt ceilings. In the most basic terms, the debt ceiling is the limit to the amount the U.S. Treasury can borrow. Like the limit on a credit card. Reach that limit and have to either take out a new credit card or ask the bank to raise your limit. A couple of nuances, though. First, the limit is set by Congress, not the Treasury itself. This means it can become political football every time the limit is in danger of being breached, as we now witness. See, the game is here for one party to make the other party look bad. If the Democrats breach the limit without raising it, the government defaults on its debt, a big no-no as we will discuss in a bit. If the Democrats cut spending to avoid breaching the limit, it will upset special interest groups, i.e. campaign donors and voters. On the flip side, Republicans aren't incentivized to cut spending for their constituents because in this current cycle of debt madness, it's not their problem. As far as they're concerned, it all happened on the Democrats' watch. And so it gets pushed right to the edge, again. Another nuance is that the federal government, Congress, has already committed to spending a certain amount of money. The Treasury isn't asking for the ability to spend more. It's asking for the ability to pay for what Congress has already spent. See, Congress went shopping. They spent and spent and spent and spent and spent. But now the bills are coming in and they just have a few bucks left in the bank and their credit limit is fast approaching. And their trusty executive branch assistant, the U.S. Treasury, is soon going to be unable to send money for all the invoices. And now Congress fights about whether to spend less in the future or just raise the limit. Meanwhile, they keep spending. I'd say it's truly comical if it wasn't so serious. This reckless behavior of spending and raising and spending and fighting will someday haunt this country. I've talked about this quite a bit before, but if you've not heard me explain it yet, you can find a link to an article in the show notes all about the debt spiral. TLDR, because the U.S. operates in a perpetual deficit, the Treasury must borrow more each year to meet the country's obligations. This borrowing only leads to a larger deficit due to higher and higher interest expense and more borrowing. It's what we call a debt spiral, and there's no way out of it. So instead, we just keep raising the limit and pretty much ignore the underlying spending problem. In fact, the U.S. has raised the debt limit 78 times since 1960 and 22 times since just 1997. And if you've been watching closely, you realize that we've already reached the debt limit. That's right, we're already there. Do you remember back in January when Yellen said the Treasury was taking extraordinary measures to avoid default as the U.S. hits the debt limit? Truth is, we actually formally hit the limit on January 19th. 
And in order to buy time and avoid an imminent default, the Treasury suspended new investments in the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund and the Postal Service Retirement Health Benefits Fund. This is nothing more than fancy accounting, moving money around in the super complex and convoluted Treasury in order to stave off an actual debt default. Yellen is living on borrowed time, though. So what happens if the Treasury does run out of money, is unable to pay its obligations before the debt limit is raised again? Then what? Put simply, the Treasury would default on those obligations, missing payments on various programs and services, ones they cannot simply pause, like civil and postal service retirement funds, as well as payments in return of principal on federal debt. They would default on U.S. Treasuries, a very large no-no and one that could have short-term impacts to the markets, as well as lasting impacts on the Treasury's cost to borrow, as we'll get into in a bit. So how close are we then to a default? How much time does Congress have to wake up and smell the money printer? Turns out, not as much time as they thought. If you read the reference debt spiral article, you know that the CBO periodically releases budget projections for the U.S. government's P&L for the years ahead. These numbers were recently updated, and I wrote all about those in another article that I'll link below. TLDR on that one, we're still screwed. It's only gotten worse with the CBO's expected deficit this year to be $1.4 trillion, growing to $2 trillion by 2028. In that article, I explained how we would likely hit $2 trillion of deficit this year, not 2028. Lo and behold, the Treasury just released the first six-month budget results for 2023. And we're running a $1.1 trillion deficit for the first six months. Some first grade math gives us a run rate annual deficit of $2.2 trillion. Because tax receipts are far lower than the CBO expected, the Treasury will have to borrow more than expected. In other words, they're already borrowing more. And this has accelerated the pace of breaching that debt ceiling. So much for those extraordinary measures. Instead of negotiating throughout the summer, the timeline has been pushed forward dramatically. In fact, Goldman Sachs recently said, weak tax collections so far in April suggest an increased probability that the debt limit deadline will be reached in the first half of June, something that Janet Yellen has been emphasizing herself. And since we've only really seen partial data from individual tax returns thus far, if capital gains taxes come in even lower than the current rate, the timeline would be even worse. It's like Congress is standing on the train tracks and playing a game of chicken in the fog. They don't know where the train is or exactly how fast it's coming. By the time they decide to act, it may be too late. So what are the markets saying? Well, there are two key pieces of data that are telling us exactly what the market is thinking and how it's handicapping the likelihood that the U.S. does in fact default on its debt. First, take a peek at the short end of the yield curve. Just a couple of weeks ago, it looked like this. If you bought a one-month U.S. Treasury, you'd be paid a yield of 3.35%, and if you bought a three-month U.S. Treasury, you'd get a yield of 5.1%. Whoa. I'm unaware of there ever being a spread quite that large between durations just two months apart. Translated, the market believes the Treasury has enough to make it to one month, but not three months. And it has since corrected to look like this. With the Fed funds currently at 4.8%, the one month is yielding 5.6%, and the three month is yielding 5.34%. So you notice how the Fed funds yield is lower than the one month and three month? A lot lower. Why? Do investors expect another imminent rate raise? 
Looking at the Fed funds futures, the answer is no. They're pricing in a 1% probability of another rate raise, and in fact, are pricing in rate cuts starting in July. So what gives? Why are investors demanding more return for shorter paper? What the market's saying is that there's a high chance that the one-month to three-month U.S. Treasuries default. They're demanding a higher yield than normal in return. Another place to look for clues is in the CDS market. I talked all about this in a recent newsletter that you can find in the show notes below. But to refresh, the short-term U.S. sovereign CDS market has exploded recently. The price of insuring against a default tripled this year and cost $176,000 per contract to protect $10 million of bonds. There are a lot of reasons for this price rise, one being Wall Street traders making complex arbitrage trades. CDS is a component of that. But another reason is pure and simple, the debt ceiling. There are reasons some investors pay for this type of protection versus other holdings and for liquidity protection in case bonds aren't made whole for days or weeks. But the message is clear. Investors have a very high level of concern for short-term bonds and a possible default. In truth, if the Treasury does default, it'll most likely be a technical default, i.e. they'll eventually fix the debt ceiling situation and pay back all the principal and interest owed to the bondholders. It is, however, highly likely these payments will be delayed. So the market's saying that investors are willing to pay for insurance against a loss of opportunity in the event there is a default. Investors want access to all of their capital and the ability to capitalize on market moves accordingly, and you should too. So what happens if the U.S. defaults, and how can you position for it? Before going further, some of you may be asking, has this ever happened before? Has the U.S. ever defaulted due to debt ceiling showdowns? The answer is yes. In 1979, Congress was playing the same exact game of chicken with the debt ceiling. They waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited to lift the ceiling raising it right at the very last moment. Problem was, the Treasury's accounting system was not equipped to get interest payments and checks in the mail fast enough, and the U.S. technically defaulted for a short period of time. All investors were eventually paid interest due and made whole, but it happened, period. As a result, short-term interest rates spiked by 60 basis points and remained higher for a number of months. The main issue we now have is that all this discussion and focus on the U.S. debt ceiling and possible default is making the world take notice of our desperate and deepening debt problems. The political wrangling, the overspending, and any default places a giant spotlight on U.S. Treasuries. Remember, a protracted debt ceiling standoff in 2011 is what prompted the S&P to downgrade the U.S. credit rating for the first time. And the next day, the stock market crashed 5.5%. As I've said before, at some point, the world would just stop trusting that the U.S. always pays its debts. Or at the very least, in the short term, it'll charge a premium to the U.S. Treasury to borrow from them. Because I attach a significant probability that the U.S. at least technically defaults on its debt in this summer, and the high likelihood of a pending recession, I'm using the KISS principle, and I'm personally holding a lot of cash. But that's me. I want dry powder to take advantage of any market weakness due to a default rather than having all my extra cash tied up in U.S. Treasuries that may be the victim of the exact reason the market sells off. Because I personally don't trust the actors in this show. Do you? The information in this newsletter is not intended to constitute individual investment advice 
and is not designed to meet your personal financial situation. It is provided for information purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. We strongly advise you to discuss your investment options with your financial advisor prior to making any investments, including whether any investment is suitable for your specific needs. Subscribe to the Informationist newsletter to stay informed, break down information barriers, and learn about financial concepts easily and quickly at www.jameslavish.com.